Welcome to, um, welcome to Everyday Church, guys. So we are uh, in almost the final message in our Hidden Figures series. Uh, actually, next Sunday will be the last Sunday, so we've only got one less, one message left. And I'm actually kind of sad about that because this has been really an incredible series. Um, it's been very challenging and encouraging uh, in so many different ways, and I'm really thankful that we've gotten to spend this sort of six weeks focused on uh, on women through scripture and women in history and the way God has used women to, um, to change the world. So Wendy and Marga, Matt and Alberto, over the past uh, month have taught us, they've taken us on a journey through scripture and through history, uh, looking at inspiring stories of women and how God's used them to change the world. So if you've missed any of the messages, then we're just going to keep saying this. They're on the website. Go check them out. I promise you, you will not regret the time that you invest. Every once in a while, send me, somebody will send me a note or I'll hear a rumor like, oh, I listened to that message, Marga and Alberto or Wendy or Matt or whatever, and it was so amazing. I'm, I'm glad I got to see it. So I would encourage you, go to the website, check out any of the messages that, um, that you've missed or any that you were like, I think it was good. I need to remember. What did they say? Um, so. so we've moved through uh, ancient history over the last four weeks, and Today, we, um, we arrive at Jesus. So that, this sort of journey through a few thousand years of history, and today we get to the person of Jesus in this um, processing and understanding of, uh, of women and their role in the world and God's perspective on women and relationship and all that sort of stuff. So in my, um, in my early 20s, I had a professor in college named Sherwood Smith, Dr. Sherwood Smith. Um, he was... He was old then. He's passed away a number of years ago. He was a really old guy, but he was amazing. So he taught his specialty in uh, at this university was to teach on the life of Jesus. So he, they were called Life of Christ classes, and they were bro Jesus' life was broken down into these different sections, and he would teach these classes on the life of Jesus. And I got to take two, um, two of these different classes with him over the course of two or three years or something like that. And this uh, was really an amazing experience because he would, um, I mean, it's about Jesus. The class is about Jesus. So there was a lot of just telling stories about Jesus. And so he would just talk about Jesus, and he would just start crying. He would, like, tears rolling down his face as he's talking about Jesus. And I'm watching, and in this place, um, just listening to him talk about Jesus, and one, seeing a man be that vulnerable and emotional in, in public, that is its own thing. It was a, a, a thing that I needed to see, that emotions aren't this terrible, bad thing, and men have to, like, hide, all of us have to hide them. Um, but seeing a man be emotional like that in public was very helpful for me in the course of my life. But seeing the way he talked about Jesus, I had never seen anyone talk about Jesus like that. Like when he was telling stories or sharing little tidbits about Jesus and his life and things that happened, and the emotion, it was like he was talking about a really close friend. Maybe a really close friend that he didn't get to see very often. It was just this incredible, like this, he was talking about somebody that he loved more than anyone else um, in his life. So over, over the course of those years, learning from, uh, from Sherwood Smith, at the same time facing my own confusion in my 20s about life and church and family and faith and abuse and love and all the different things that I sort of experienced up to that time, it became, something became obvious to me. I realized watching him and processing that I knew about Jesus, that I knew things that Jesus had said. I knew the big events and stories in Jesus' life, but I didn't actually know Jesus. 
that there was a difference between the relationship that this guy had with Jesus and the way Jesus showed up in my life, the way I had experienced and the way I understood him or knew him. My relationship with Jesus was very different than his. So I don't know if um, that makes any sense to you, and I've been trying to think about different ways to, to describe this or try to get us into this idea. And it occurred to me that if somebody asked you uh, if you knew me, if you knew Larry, and uh, you were like, yeah, I know Larry. Um, he said this once, and, uh, and he, you know, he lived, he moved from Ohio to New York some time ago, and I know he believes this or that, and he likes, like, outdoor stuff. He plays strategy games every once in a while. He likes board games. He talks about donuts all the time. <laughs> and, uh, yes, so we can talk about donuts anytime you like. Um, and, it, like, that's the way you describe it. You kind of went down the list of things you knew about me, uh, and places in my life, or things that I'd said, or whatever, and that's the way you explained me. Do you really know me? You know things about me, but do you really know me? And I think um, we can all sort of relate to that. There's people um, that we know about, and we think, I wish they were friends. Wendy is this way with like HDTV all the time. <laughs> I wish they were my friends. I know where they live. I know what they do, I know where to find them, I know everything about them, but I wish they were my friends. I wish I could get to know them and be friends with them. And we have people in our life that are like that. You like see somebody or you experience somebody in some way and you're like, I wish I, I wish I could get closer to them. I know about them, I wish I could get to really know them. Or there's people in our life that, um, that know things about us. And we wish, like I wish they would take the time to really get to know me, to like listen to get to know my worries and my fears and my dreams and the things I'm excited about in life. I wish they'd take the time to, to really get to know me. There's something inside of us that wants safe people, at least, to really know us, not just to know about us, but to really know us. So I recently uh, heard somebody describe it this way about Jesus, that many people know the major events at the beginning and the end of his life. So his birth and his escape from murder in the first few years of his life, and then the events at the latter part of his life, um, his uh, crucifixion on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection. We know these events that kind of bookend Jesus' life, but we don't really know what happens in between. All the in-between stories, all the things that happen in Jesus' day-to-day -day life over the course of what was three or three and a half years, well, 30-some years, and when you look at his ministry, three or three and a half public years of ministry that we have a lot of record of. So, uh, so that idea of knowing about Jesus, knowing things that he said, maybe you know doctrine about Jesus, but do we really know him? And we know, we could, I can tell you, I am more than just, I like donuts and board games and whatever, have three daughters. That's, you know, you know some things about me, but do you really know me? And we're all that way, and Jesus is that way. He's more than just some big events, and he's more than just things he believed or things that he spoke and taught about in the course of his life. So think about it this way. If you were alive and you followed, uh, were following Jesus through the course of his life, uh, his public ministry time, you were one of his disciples kind of walking along through a three-and-a-half-year period of his, um, his sort of public life and ministry, what would that be like? What would, it be, what would your experience be like walking with Jesus through those years? You'd certainly, most certainly, you'd hear what he taught. You'd be around for the big events through the course of his life. So you'd know the events, you'd know what he believed about things, but you'd get so much more than that. Weeks and days walking with him, because journey, Jesus journeyed all around a huge area, walking everywhere he went. 
you'd walk with him down the side of the road, and you'd walk with him on trails through the countryside, and you'd share meals with him, sit around the campfire with him. You'd enjoy other people's hospitality with him, be welcomed into people's homes. You would probably get annoyed with Jesus the way his friends sometimes got annoyed with him. There are loads of things that we see through the course of Jesus' life, and if you were present for those things, you'd have all of that time and all of that space. You'd see the look in Jesus' eye when he looked at people. You'd see the way that he interacted with all sorts of different people at different times. You'd see the times where Jesus like slipped away from the crowds because he was tired and went and hid in the woods. You'd see that. And you'd go to try to find him just like his followers did. Where are you? Why are you hiding from all these people? There's things that you would see if you were there that we don't often get to experience by just knowing doctrine or just knowing some of the big events through the course of Jesus' life. So you'd get the benefit of not just what he taught in the big events, but also observing the way he lived every second of his life, every interaction that he had. So living like Jesus for us, when we talk about living like Jesus, living like Jesus wouldn't mean, oh, I can tell you a few stories about Jesus, or I can tell you what he believed about this or that. Living like Jesus in that case would be, you would know how he treated people, how he looked at people. You would know what it was like for Jesus to live the life that you're living the way that you're interacting with people and serving people and caring and dealing with family and friends, all of that you would know because you witnessed it by being present with Jesus. So I'm not sure um, if you're familiar with Beth Moore. She's, um, she's a pretty incredible Bible teacher and public speaker. Um, if you asked Wendy about her, uh, she would describe Beth Moore as a major player in her life, a major influence in her life. Uh, she's a very inspiring woman and a pretty incredible person of faith and leadership and um, biblical teacher. So Beth Moore is uh, in the latter half of her life. I think she's in her 60s. I'm not positive about that, but I think she is. Um, she's very well known, uh, but like many female Bible teachers uh, and leaders in the Christian world, there's a lot of contention around her. Um, she's taken a lot of heat over the years for being a Bible teacher and, and uh, the role that she plays in leading people. And her story really fits well into this Hidden Figures series that we're talking about, the role of women and the way God uses women in the world. So just last week, uh, Beth Moore posted a letter online titled, A Letter to My Brothers. And she has decided uh, at this stage in her life that it's time for her to speak up about her experience um, as uh, a female Bible scholar and teacher and leader uh, about her experiences with Christian men over the years. And, um, and the letter is sad, really. Um, she talks about a variety of experiences and ways she's been criticized and attacked and the pressure that she's experienced by being a woman in her um, role. So I bring it up because I want to read a small portion of this letter. It's actually uh, an account of an experience she had with somebody. And uh, it's sad. Uh, but it illustrated for me, I just heard it maybe three or four days ago, and it illustrated for me what I'm talking about here, that um, the person that she describes here is somebody who spent their life learning about Jesus. But when you see this exchange, you wonder, did he know Jesus? Did he really know Jesus? And so I want to read, um, uh, read what she, she writes here. So this is uh, from Beth Moore in the midst of her letter, which you can find online if you, uh, if you want to. So about a year ago, I had an opportunity to meet a theologian that I had long respected. I read virtually every book he'd written. I looked so forward to getting to share a meal with him and talk theology. The instant I met him, he looked me up and down, smiled approvingly, and said, you're better looking than blank. But he didn't leave it blank. 
He filled it in with the name of another woman Bible teacher. <clears throat> so this is a theologian. This is a, a person who's dedicated his life to studying about Jesus and knowing God and writing books about that. Um, and yet, his interaction with this woman didn't really reflect what I think we see in the way Jesus lived. I don't know if you know Jesus well enough to answer this question, but could, can you imagine Jesus ever responding that way to a woman? Checking her out, comparing her, her looks, her appearance to other women. Do you ever imagine Jesus responding that way? When we look closely at the record of Jesus' life in Scripture, the accounts of Jesus' life written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, guys who were close friends of his or people that lived shortly after Jesus that really researched and met Jesus' friends and got to know the stories and then recorded those for us, when you read not just to establish doctrine, which is so often what we do when we're looking at scripture, we're trying to piece together a theology or a doctrine, a list of beliefs that we can feel comfortable with. That's oftentimes how we treat scripture. But when we look at Jesus' life, not just to establish a doctrinal position on this or that, but when we read scripture to get to know Jesus, to meet him in the stories and in the pages, we begin to notice things that we might not otherwise um, notice and might have missed, and people have been missing, I think, as long as Jesus is, um, since his life. So we see in Jesus, um, we see him in friendship with other men. Uh, he was very affectionate. Um, he was very close, very close friendships uh, with other men. He wasn't afraid to express all sorts of different difficult emotions, which is not very common um, for most of us to express publicly difficult emotions that we're dealing with. We see Jesus interact with children. It's fun. There's a few of these stories where Jesus is interacting with children, and um, they're interrupting the adult conversation. And Jesus doesn't shush them or shoo them away because they're interrupting adult conversation. He says, bring them. Let them come. This is okay. These are our children. Let them be around us. So we see that sort of stuff in these stories. We see Jesus as a single man, not ashamed of being single not afraid of being single through the course of his life. A man, a single man living a pure and godly life following God's will. We see him angry in public. We see him weep and cry very seriously in public. We see him accused of being a drunk and a glutton of overeating, which I think is because maybe Jesus enjoyed a nice drink now and then and he liked tasty food. He probably liked donuts if there were... <laughs> If there were donuts around, I'm sure Jesus would have liked donuts. Uh, we see him responding to people exactly the opposite way most people respond to people. He commends the poor as role models to us, not people that are beneath us or we need to lift them up. We see him welcome outcasts and sinners and despised people, even criminals, into his group of friends, into his close followers, challenging, we see him challenge and confront the people that everybody looks up to, the people with power and authority and opportunity. He challenges them because they're not living a godly life. They're not using what they have to bless and care for the people around them. He lived his daily life pretty much exactly opposite the religious people of his time. And I'm, I suspect it might be a bit that way if he were here now. So here is uh, the question for us today in the midst of this series that we're looking at um, in women and scripture and through history. What about Jesus and women? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever looked at Jesus' life and wondered, like, I wonder how Jesus 
interacted with? What do we see in his life and his relationship with women? The secular world often looks at the church and Christians and they see uh, them as sexist, as male chauvinistic, as misogynistic, and rightly so. I think Christians through history have very clearly taken power away from women. We've been looking at this for the last four weeks of different stories and the ways that people have translated and twisted those stories around to rob women in scripture of the role that God used them for and the way he, um, he used them through history. <clears throat> we see, um, it, it, we, so we see this sort of picture of Jesus entering into a world, and so I want you to s- just take a moment to kind of get your mind around the world that Jesus walked into or showed up in the midst of. He, um, he showed up into a world that was largely pa- um, a patriarchal society, so which essentially, and up to that point, Nearly every human experience up to that point in time had been in patriarchal environments and societies. So you see Jesus entering into a world where um, every system in society and family and government, virtually every system that existed, men held all the power, all the influence, all the opportunity. All of that was held by men and and held tightly um, by men. And women were largely excluded. Men didn't interact with women who weren't in their family. So if it wasn't your sister or your mom, you didn't really interact Um, with women. Men certainly didn't touch women or let women um, touch them outside of their family. Um, Women kept their hair and their bodies covered as a sort of way of um, of keeping themselves separate. Uh, They didn't make eye contact with men. Um, They, women generally weren't acknowledged in most settings by men. Uh, There weren't conversations that were happening between uh, women and men very often. Men would never be alone with a, a woman who wasn't a part of their family. Uh, that was just totally taboo. So being alone with a woman was not not acceptable. Um, women very rarely had um, any kind of education. The statistics are, are pretty incredible when you look at it. Less than like 10%. So one in 10, even less uh, women were educated in any way, were Ill- literate in any way. So most women were uneducated and illiterate. Um, teachers, so teachers like Jesus was known as a rabbi, as a teacher. Teachers almost never you can look through history at this period of time in Roman and Jewish society, and Greek society. W- women, uh, teachers almost never had women students or followers, significant disciples or followers of their, of their teaching. That was uh, completely unheard of. So that's the world that Jesus shows up in. So when we look at Jesus' life and we start to see the stories, what do we see? Do we see Jesus interacting with women the way the rest of the world does, or did he treat women in somehow differently? So now Jesus, the man, the teacher, the religious leader, he enters the scene. So Walter Brueggemann, uh, the biblical scholar we often uh, talk about and reference, puts it this way. Jesus associated in public with women who were not his kin. His association with, in public with women who were not his kin was, scandalous, was a scandalous breach of decorum and a challenge to the gender boundaries of the first century. So in this, as in many things, Jesus is a rebel. He is a radical. He's pushing the boundaries of society, challenging the people around him to see things differently, to function in a different sort of way. And his interaction, his relationship with women, as we'll see as we look at stories, is no different than that. He is showing us the way God intends for things to work. So the theologian and writer Stanley uh, Krenz uh, speaks of Jesus' life this way. He says, coming to to this earth as a man, 
Jesus liberated both men and women from their bondage to the social orders that violate God's intention for human life and community. So God has this idea of humans living in community, and scripture is full of this is what God intended for us to live connected lives in relationship with one another. And so this idea that uh, Jesus is attempting to liberate us from the social structures that prevent healthy, godly life in community as humans. Jesus freed males from their slavery to the role of domination that belongs to this fallen world. So Jesus is showing us God's way in the way that he lived the day-to-day um, routines of his life, the interactions that he had, and the truth of Jesus' countercultural way of living as a man and his relationship with women, it's baked in. If you look at Jesus' life kind of thinking and trying to notice the interactions that are happening, you see it all through the course of his life, all through the stories that we see. Um, so I would like to just share some of the stories uh, of Jesus and women that we find in Scripture. And so I'm just going to kind of walk down through some of the different stories sort of through the course of um, Jesus' life to help you see the Jesus who walked and talked and shared his life, really shared his life with women. This isn't about doctrine or theology or the really big events in Jesus' life, but the stories I will share touch on all of those things, of doctrine and theology and the big events in Jesus' life. This is Jesus the man, Jesus the teacher, Jesus the friend of women. So Jesus' close friend and follower John in um, chapter 4 of John's account of Jesus' life, he records one of the first stories of Jesus as an adult interacting um, with a, a woman. So it's often referred to as the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman, the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. And John gives this uh, story an incredible amount of space in his record of Jesus' life. So John would have been writing on a scroll. Uh, scrolls are pretty rare and pretty expensive. And they're finite. It's not like he had a, you know, a case of paper over there and he could just write as much as he wanted. He had this finite amount of space to write in. And so uh, he's going to try to squeeze everything he can about Jesus onto that scroll. He gives an enormous amount of space. When you look at all the different stories of Jesus' life, a huge amount of space to this story, this interaction with this Samaritan woman at this well, which I don't know what that means, but it's fascinating that, G that John prioritizes that much space um, to this story. So Jesus uh, is hanging out by himself, and this woman comes along. She's a Samaritan woman. Uh, Samaritan by ethnicity, and Jews like Jesus don't interact really. Very rarely do they interact with Samaritans, especially if they don't have to. They'll ignore or go different directions to stay away from Samaritans. So this is a Samaritan woman. We also know from the story that she doesn't have a great reputation. So this is a woman with not a great reputation. Jesus strikes up a conversation with this lady that lasts an incredible amount of time. It's a one-on-one -on -one conversation, a private conversation between Jesus and this woman. This Samaritan woman that's surprising. A woman with a bad reputation, Jesus doesn't seem to care about any of that stuff. He has a really beautiful exchange with this woman. His, his disciples come back after they're running their errand. They come back, they see him talking to this woman, and they're surprised by it. Like, whoa, what is Jesus doing talking? They didn't say anything to them. They kept it to themselves. Like, why is Jesus talking to this woman? What's going on here? Well, it turns out this woman ends up bringing loads of other people to follow Jesus. She's one of the first, like, evangelist kind of people. She goes and gets the whole town and loads of people come out and loads of people end up following Jesus because of Jesus' interaction with this woman who most men wouldn't have given any kind of time or attention to. 
So, uh, so some number of months later, uh, we read a couple of other stories of interactions um, that Luke shares uh, with us between Jesus and some other women. Um, Jesus is still early in his ministry, his public ministry time. He's probably about 31 years old, around 31 or 32. Uh, and in one case, he approaches a woman. There's a woman in a crowd. He sees her son has passed away. And Jesus goes straight up to this lady and interacts with her, starts talking with her. And he's moved, scripture says he's moved with compassion for her because of what she's experienced. He has an interaction with her. He's very comforting to her. And then he raises her son from, um, from the dead. There's another story shortly after that that's really a, a beautiful story. Jesus is invited to a dinner party of a religious leader. He was most likely probably wealthy, um, had a position of authority and influence in uh, sort of the religious structure of, of the day, a Jewish religious structure. As custom would have it, most likely it was just a party for men, a gathering, a dinner party for men. There probably weren't women there. Uh, and Jesus is invited in, he's sitting at the table, and a woman comes in. She walks into this male-filled room, and um, she walks up to Jesus. She starts to weep. She um, gets down on her knees. She uses her tears to wash Jesus' feet. She wipes his feet with her hair. Uh, Luke refers to her as a sinful woman. Um, most likely, the idea is that she was a prostitute. Uh, and she's touching Jesus. She starts to kiss his feet. She's wiping his feet. She opens up her perfume and puts it on his feet and wipes it around with her hair. This really intimate sort of moment in the midst of a party and the crowd are really surprised by what's going on. The host is frustrated. He's like shocked by what he's seeing. And Jesus doesn't like shoo this lady away. He stands up for her. He, he's, he's such dignity that we see in this story him giving to this woman, defending her, in fact, challenging the people in the room to be a little bit more like this woman. And he ends up comforting her and, uh, and forgiving her for her sins. <clears throat> the, um, shortly after this account, um, Luke tells us, so that was in Luke chapter 7 and Luke chapter 8, uh, Luke gives us some information that we get from some of the other writers also at different points, that um, Jesus, his sort of routine was to travel the countryside, so he would walk all over from village to village, from town to town, lots of miles in between, so lots of space just moving from one place to the next, and, uh, and so Luke tells us he's traveling around, visiting all these different villages, he's doing what he did, he taught about the kingdom of God, so this idea that God has a new way for us to live, a new kingdom, a new rules that he intends for us to follow, and Jesus is teaching all about this kingdom and the good news of this kingdom, and in his travels, he's not alone. He has his 12 chosen men, uh, his disciples, that 12, the 12 disciples that follow with him, travel with him everywhere he goes. Luke tells us he also had a group of women who were traveling with him. And this wasn't like a group of women who showed up to listen to him teach every once in a while. This was a group of women that traveled with Jesus on a, these extended multi-day travels through the region and through the area. And um, you'll see some of the names that it mentions in the list. Mary Magdalene, who, uh, whom Jesus had healed from evil spirits. Joanna, Susanna, other women. There's other lists of these women who traveled and were disciples of Jesus and traveled with him. And other fascinating thing, Luke tells us, uh, I think Matthew does in another occasion, that these women used their own financial resources to pay for Jesus' ministry. So they were traveling with him and they were using their funds 
what, I don't know what kind of leaders or business people or whatever they had, they were using their financial resources to pay for Jesus' journeys and his ministry. They were funding his ministry, these women who followed him. So you'll notice Mary Magdalene in uh, that list of women. She's a figure that actually shows up quite a few times through, I think her name comes up maybe 14 times in the accounts of Jesus' life. Um, if all you know of Mary Magdalene is from um, shows, maybe Broadway shows and uh, movies and TV, sh you might think Mary Magdalene is a prostitute. That's how she's normally represented. There's actually nothing in scripture that describes Mary, no association of Mary being a prostitute whatsoever. In fact, scripture only ever represents her as a noble woman, a righteous woman, a follower of Jesus. For some reason, though, over and it started early, she started to get a bad reputation by men through history who have slandered her and taken her name down, I think, to lower her in the eyes of people who see women in Jesus' life. So uh, we'll talk more about Mary Magdalene in a little bit. So a bit later in um, Luke chapter 13, Jesus is, uh, he's in a Jewish synagogue uh, teaching a crowd. So the normal uh, sort of setting in different areas where there were Jews, there would be a synagogue, and that's where they gathered to learn and to be taught by different teachers and scholars. And uh, Jesus was in one of these synagogues, and he was teaching a crowd of people. The normal arrangement would have been all men. So all men gathered around Jesus. The women might have been in the back of the room or in another room or in another place, but um, it was around Jesus, the people listening to him predominantly would have been um, men. So Jesus is teaching here, and he sees a woman, maybe she's in the back of the crowd somewhere or walking by, we don't know. He sees a woman, and he calls her forward. She's a woman who had, um, for I think it says 18 years, uh, she had some sort of crippling disease that had her hunched over in pain and discomfort and years and years of this. And Jesus calls her forward, up to the front of all these men, and, uh, and Jesus comforts her, he touches her. He's physically affectionate with this woman in public in front of all of these men. Totally unacceptable. The crowd reacts very poorly. But Jesus um, comforts her and then heals her of her disease. And the crowd gets upset with Jesus, and Jesus gets angry. You see him get angry because they do not have compassion towards this. They're more worried about cultural norms and these behaviors that have been cemented in society that say there's certain interactions that are allowable or not. And Jesus says, all of that, and you've lost your ability to be compassionate and merciful and loving towards women, towards people who are suffering. So then, um, sometime later, we, uh, we run into a character, a woman um, named Mary, another Mary. There's quite a few of them. Um, I think six different Marys uh, listed in Jesus' life. So Mary Magdalene, we talked about a bit ago. We'll talk about it again in a minute. This is Mary of Bethany. So Mary, you might know her as Mary, the sister of Martha, the brother, or the sister of Lazarus. So Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were siblings, three siblings. So I will call her Mary of Bethany because that's the town that she was from. So Mary of Bethany. Um, so we find uh, Jesus... Um, and we have three stories of this, uh, this Mary of Bethany. So Jesus spent a lot of time traveling. He would pass through their area near Bethany, and he would often stay with these siblings, with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, stay in their house. Uh, a lot of time when he was working in Jerusalem, he, uh, at the end of the day, or he would take breaks, and he would travel outside of Jerusalem, and he would go to Bethany to rest in their home, oftentimes. He would travel there to relax and to rest. So uh, John tells us that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus very deeply. We see him having this very close, very unique relationship with these, um, with these siblings. 
So there are three stories uh, of Jesus and Mary of Bethany. Each of them are uh, very significant in their own ways. Uh, The first story you may have heard, the story of Mary and Martha. Uh, So Jesus is in their home, and he's teaching. And uh, through the course of whatever this going on in their house, um, Martha is running around kind of doing what would have been expected of women at the time to, uh, to host to, um, to serve the men that were there. That would have been the norm. And Martha's running around doing all that stuff. Mary, on the other hand, is sitting at Jesus' feet. She's sitting there with his other disciples, and she's learning. She's listening. She's a student at the feet, at the foot of, um, of Jesus. And uh, through the interaction that happens, um, we see something going on here. And often it's described as um, Martha was stressed out and not really, didn't have her priorities straight. And she was running around doing all this stuff. And Mary had it right. She sat at Jesus' feet and paid attention to him. But if you understand the cultural context, it's very possible there's something else that's going on here. It's very possible that what's happening is Martha is conforming to the society's expectations of women. She's conforming to what society would expect of a proper woman in that sort of setting. And Mary, on the other hand, is sitting at Jesus' feet. She's doing what men do. Men get to learn. Men get to sit at the feet of the teachers, not women. What is she doing there? And so when you look at it from an understanding of what's happening in culture, it's possible there's more going on here. And Martha goes to Jesus and says, why is my sister, why are you letting her do this? Why isn't she helping me and doing what we're supposed to do? And what does Jesus respond? How does he respond? He tries to recruit Martha to be his student, to sit at his feet with with her sister and to learn from Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, to be a student and a disciple of Jesus. Jesus doesn't respond by like, you're right, she should be helping, or this isn't normal, or this isn't right for women. It's, hey, join her, because this is what God thinks is right, for you to have the opportunity to sit at my feet and to be a student of Jesus. So the next story that um, we, uh, we run into with Mary of Bethany, it's actually um, sad. Uh, story of their brother, Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus, passes away. Maybe you know the story of Lazarus. Um, Lazarus passes away, and Mary is crushed. She's um, confused. She's really upset. She knows that, um, that Jesus could have healed her brother. She's, in fact, as a student of Jesus, seen him do this before. He's healed loads of people. He could have healed my brother. He's raised people from the dead. If he were here, he could raise my brother from the dead. And so uh, Mary confronts Jesus. In all her emotions and frustration, she confronts Jesus for not healing her brother. And Jesus' response, it's most likely a public setting where she confronted him. Um, Jesus' response is fascinating. His response is compassion. He responds to her and he validates her emotion and her sadness and her loss and her frustration by weeping. It says, Scripture tells us that he wept when he experienced this, and then he raised Lazarus from the dead and brought her brother back to him. Not the expectation that you would expect from a man in this society being confronted by a woman and challenged and maybe rebuked. You could have done something about this, Jesus. Why didn't you? And his response is beautiful and compassionate. So um, the final story of Mary of Bethany, this is the last week um, of Jesus' life, so the very end of um, of Jesus' time before he's arrested and crucified. And Mary of Bethany shows herself, I think, through this story, and I think Jesus sees it and names it, but we, maybe we often miss it. He recognizes Mary of Bethany as an incredible 
student and disciple of his. In fact, she gets something that nobody else really had gotten. So Jesus, up to this point, had repeatedly been telling his followers and his disciples that, um, that he was going to die, that he had to die, that the way this was all going, he was going to be arrested, he was going to be crucified, and that it had to go this way because this is what God is up to. And every time he mentioned this, his followers, they would either like just ignore him or not get it, understand it at all. Sometimes they rebuke him for it. They were not okay when he talked this way. They just didn't seem to get it. But Mary of Bethany, she enters the last few days before Jesus is arrested and crucified. Mary of Bethany enters a male-dominated dinner party. She takes an expensive burial perfume. The perfume she uses was commonly used for burial, for somebody who was dead. She takes this burial perfume, and she goes to Jesus, and she pours some on his head. She pours some on his feet. She uses her hair to rub this um, perfume into his feet. And there's a reaction again by the people around him, like, what is going on? Why are you letting this happen? And Jesus responds by dignifying this woman and her, that she got it. He said, she is preparing me for my burial. She understands what's going on. You guys don't get it, but she does. It's really um, a beautiful picture. So the events of um, the following days after this are pretty familiar um, we see Jesus in the upper room having his last meal with his disciples before he's crucified. Jesus arrested, his death on the cross, his burial in the tomb, the tomb sealed um, with the stone, his resurrection. All of that is coming in the next um, few days. But what you might not know and what is often missed and I think not spoken of um, as it should be is that nearly every man who followed Jesus abandoned him the night he was arrested. All the men in his life who'd been following him for years abandoned him. Uh, as far as we know, the only guy that stuck around a little bit was John, um, Jesus' friend John. Uh, Peter was nearby. Peter, the dynamic uh, apostle and um, disciple, was nearby, but totally denied that he even knew Jesus. And that was the men. That's what was going on with the men in Jesus' life, the men following Jesus. But what about, um, what about the women who followed Jesus? The women who traveled with him, the women who funded his ministry with their own um, financial resources. Mary Magdalene, along with some of the other Marys and um, other women, seemed to not have left Jesus' side through all of these last days and the horrors that were happening. These women are at the cross when Jesus is tortured and died. They're at the cross when he's taken down. They are there when his body is prepared. They're there. They're the only ones that know where his body was put in the tomb and the tomb sealed. Um, Mary Magdalene went in the dark to check on Jesus. And one of the nights, we don't know exactly when it was through the course of the couple of days, but she went out as a woman in the dark to go check on the tomb. Um, Mary of Magdalene and some of the other ladies were the first ones at the tomb Sunday morning when uh, Jesus was raised. And they were the first ones to meet the angels that were there. Um, maybe most beautiful of all, beautiful of all, Mary Magdalene is the first person that Jesus appears to. Um, she is the first person that he speaks to after he um, rises from the dead. She is the very first person that um, Jesus asks to take the good news of his, that he's alive, to tell other people. And she is known by some as the first evangelist, the first one to carry the good news. She is known by some and been referred to in history as the apostle to the apostles. This is Mary Magdalene. 
this Mary that Jesus had a beautiful and close relationship with that we see. So when I was um, studying and preparing for this message, um, I'd worked through these various stories, trying to put them together in some sort of um, a way that we could just sort of talk through and listen to. Um, I kind of got through it, and, uh, you know, there's other stories about Jesus and women, and I was kind of sorting through them and trying to figure out how to tell some of these stories. And uh, a question came to my mind, like, what, do you, what are you trying to accomplish here, Larry? Which, when you're teaching, you know, I think that's one of the fundamental rules. Like, what are you trying to accomplish? What's your goal? What do you want to get across? What do you want people to, um, to walk away with? Um, why are you sharing these stories? Why do you want people to hear it this way? Um, so we live in a world that throws Jesus' name around a whole lot. People that believe in Jesus, people that don't believe in Jesus. His name is used in um, lots of different ways to lift people up, to tear people down. People speak for Jesus. They quote him. They, um, they claim all sorts of things in Jesus' name. But I'm afraid that not many people really know Jesus. I'm not saying that Christians don't believe in Jesus or don't love Jesus or aren't following Jesus. That's not what I mean. Because you can not uh, you can love Jesus and believe in him and follow him without really knowing who he is or how he lived his life. That was me for years of my life, not really know, knowing about him, but not really knowing him. So my hope for us is that we would know Jesus, that we would really get to know Jesus. I want us to be a people who love with Jesus' kind of love, who interact with the world and respond to the people around us the way Jesus would. If he were in our shoes in any given moment, how would he interact with people? How would he respond? What would the look in his eye be? How would he come across? What kind of mercy and grace and kindness would he show to the people that we are around through the course of our lives? So scripture talks about um, us being the body of Christ or the body of Jesus, which um, it's one of those things that if you stop for a second and think about, you're like, okay, that's weird. I don't even know what that means. So we are the body of Jesus. We're the body of Christ. The idea behind that, I think, is much simpler than maybe we um, often kind of try to figure it out. Basically, Jesus said, I am giving you my spirit, and I want you to live my life in this world. I am in heaven waiting for you and doing what I do in heaven at the right hand of God. I have left you to be Jesus, to be my life in this world to live the way I lived and to love people the way I love people and to comfort and care and respond and do all of the things that I did in my life. And to do that, we have to have a life-changing relationship with Jesus. We got to get to know him. We got to know the way he responded to the people that he interacted with, especially in his context and the way it viewed different people because it's not really that different now. People that are not looked at the way God looks at them. People that are not treated and respected and cared for the way God intends for them to be loved and cared for and dignified and lifted up in this series and other series that we do in our way of trying to lift people up and give them a voice because the world has taken it away and it is our job as Jesus' presence in this world with his spirit, spirit living inside of us to be Jesus here and to love people the way he would love them if he were here in our shoes. And so that is my, um, my hope for us, really, in sharing these stories with you, that you would set out to get to know Jesus, to really get to not just doctrine, not just things he said, but the way that he lived, the way that he loved, the way that he cared for people, all the in-between um, space, that we would pursue that type of life-changing relationship with Jesus. And I'm, um, I'm confident that if we dedicate ourselves to that, that Jesus 
uh, that God will use us to be a blessing to the world around us, the people that we get to interact with.